Once two lifelong friends Grace Day Buddy Reed Of the Witcher series By Andre Sapkowski Toss five stars to our podcast Internet of plenty Internet of plenty Oh Toss five stars to our podcast Internet of plenty Up the tempo a little bit. It's been a while since I listened to that. Oh my god! (laughs) You did it, man. I, (laughs) you know, I was thinking the other day. I was like, "Oh, should I remind Charles to record that?" And (laughs) you just went ahead. You did it, dude. That was amazing. I I was hoping that you. I was like, "Did he forget about it?" Like, I hope he kind of did. So I'm not going to bring it up. I'm just going to record it and. No, I didn't know you were just going to drop it on me like that. That's, Dude, that was beautiful. Thank you. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles. That intro, not our usual intro. Not I mean, guys, all. what more do we have to do to get you to drop five stars? <laughs> I'm singing I mean, and playing guitar over here. So... That... <laughs> Charles, you are a man of many, many talents, and uh, you, you showed that today. Well, singing is not usually one of them, so I just, as long as it was listenable. <laughs> Toss five stars to our podcast, Oh Internet of Plenty. That podcast being Friends Talking Fantasy, and you smell that, Dylan? Uh, we are not in the same room. This is a Zoom call, Charles, so no. I, I smell lilac and gooseberries <laughs> that can only mean it's one everywhere. thing it means it's time to get our bath water ready and get this buddy read going for <laughs> the last Dude, is that wish. the route you want to <laughs> you want to go here charles a <laughs> little, little sensual for my taste um well you know what you can't talk about the witcher without uh opening with a good bath scene so uh, yes, this is it. Um, we're talking specifically about The Last Wish by Andrei Sapkowski, a collection of short stories. That is the introduction to The Witcher. It's kind of confusing. There's two short story collections, and then there's The Witcher Saga that takes place after it. And then he wrote another collection of short stories later on but this is the first one this is the introduction to the witcher this is the place to start when you are reading anything witcher related and we're here today to kick it all off yeah where better to start than a book called the last wish (laughs) right well (laughs) you get into the meaning of that towards the end of the book but yeah it is always kind of confusing when the first book has like last or final in the title and you're like okay but it's not really though yeah i mean we saw that with mistborn the final empire being the first book but there's always good old joe abercrombie who makes the final book in his first law trilogy the last argument of kings yeah that's that's helpful when it's the last one to have it to be for sure yep yep. so but much much to my chagrin we were will not be talking first law today we're talking witcher 
which I am excited to talk about. I, I did really like it. Yeah, I mean, the what what's to say about The Witcher, the pop culture phenomena that spanned over like almost three decades? This book came out in the late 90s, right? Oh, 1993 in Polish, but didn't make it across the pond into the U.S. until 2007. But still, uh, it's the inspiration for the super popular video games, of which there's been three over the past decade or more. And then there's the Witcher TV series where um, our intro song took inspiration from, uh, which dropped on Netflix last year, and it's coming back for a second season. They're doing a spinoff. Geralt of Rivia is everywhere. Can't get away from him. Can't get away. Don't want to get away. We're just like Kikimora. Kikimorai? Kikimora. What's the plural of Kikimoras? Yeah, I don't know. Kiki Morris's. <laughs> We're like Kiki Morris's just trying to escape sometimes from Geralt, but we can't. He's everywhere. Yeah, that's very well said. Uh, so, yeah. Dylan, you want to introduce us to The Last Wish? Charles, there's nothing I would like more than to introduce us to The Last Wish. Let's hear. And that was... <laughs> so... The Last Wish is a series of short stories formed around a frame story in which Geralt of Rivia reflects on past experiences from his life as a witcher as he recovers from an injury at a temple following an encounter with a striga. And we'll talk through each short story and provide our thoughts and reactions. And I think a part of why I like this book so much is it is as simple as that. You know, Geralt is a guy who kills monsters for money he's a monster bounty hunter and he goes into these very contained stories but the stories are not as simple as you're kind of led to believe when you think about Geralt's as a character and the way this book is structured and I think a good example of that is the first story that we start with which is called it's the title it's called The Witcher is the name of the first short story and this was the story that Andrei Sapkowski wrote first before any of the others, and he submitted it to a magazine, and then it won all kinds of awards and things like that, which then caused him to write more short stories until he bound it into a book. So this is the conception of The Witcher, and this story is where it all began. And I have to say that this is probably my favorite of all the short stories in this book, I'm a huge fan of The Witcher, and I I love it's it's more kind of dark and gothic than the other stories in this collection. It's got a really exciting monster battle at the end. It's got twists and turns. It's got drama. Uh, what do you think about The Witcher, Dylan? Are you as pro of this short story as me? <laughs> I don't know if I'm as pro as you. If you're saying it's your favorite one, uh, you know I've been <laughs> I'm, I'm partial that. toward. The lesser evil, which we'll get into in a bit, but I I did really like it. It's it's near the top for me for sure. I think it does do a really good job of living up to its name in terms of being kind of a quintessential The Witcher short story, where I think pretty much this or the lesser evil are probably the best ones for just saying, Hey, you want to know what is on offer from these 
Witcher short stories, at least in what I've seen from The Last Wish, because I've only read this one mm-hmm. so far. I know you've read a lot more, Charles. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I think that you're getting that from The Witcher. To present you with some of these more moral conundrums, some of this... F- Almost, you can tell fairy tale inspired settings, some curses, some princesses. Always got to have princesses if it's For a sure. Witcher short story, and you do get some fighting too. So yep. fighting I mean, and there's, fighting. There's uh, there's potions. There's swords. There's royalty. There's mm-hmm. political intrigue. There's reveals and uh, the story. Like the more what I like about this short story is the more you like. The more the story progresses, like the darker it almost becomes, you know, like on its face value. It's like there's a monster plague in the castle. It's someone's daughter. It's the daughter of incest. Oh, actually, there's political factions that trying to kill it. Oh, there's political factions trying to keep it alive to undermine the king or and it, it it's mm-hmm. it. It's a good story in that it's the monster's not the most horrifying thing about it, which I, I think stretch. is what makes it so clever. That's well said, Charles. I didn't quite think of it that way before, but that's a great point where the scary parts of this, uh, the monsters among them, but probably not the the most scary part of everything going on. In fact, just the moral conundrums of it are right. pretty freaky and and you get to see Geralt as someone who likes to almost present himself as if he's not a deep thinker in some right. ways or he's kind of just gruff on the outside it feels like is uh, very thoughtful internally in and considers all of the ramifications of listening to those on any of these sides. Uh, He's kind of being approached throughout by all these different factions, these people kind of hinting at, hey, look, if something happens and you do have to kill the Striga, I know the king doesn't want you to do that, but you might find that you end up with some money for doing that. And then (laughs) as he navigates these conversations and the ethics of what he's going to do, uh, it's it's really interesting to watch, right? And or, it's also interesting that <laughs> the 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 monster, the Striga, in this case, it was a child born of incest that mm-hmm. died during childbirth, and then was buried, and then the curse resulting from that is what caused it to be born into a monster that like comes out at night and eats people. But what's interesting about how Andrei Sapkowski creates this monster is that the monster itself is almost kind of innocent in all of this and i think Geralt, as a monster hunter like he's supposed to kill monsters for money but he kind of more often than not sympathizes with with monsters every once in a while there's a great moment in this where the king was like did my congress with my sister those are his words um create this monster and Geralt's like not directly but i think it was a cause of it you know this idea of like what creates monsters it's not necessarily the fact that you know a, a magic voodoo spell was cast but it was the result of these despicable har you know horrible deeds that combined with hatred and jealousy from people that like there was another person in court that loved the princess and mm-hmm. was like um 
enraged by the pregnancy and things like that. So it was kind of all of those raw emotions and all these deeds from human beings that pulled into the innocence of this unborn child that created this horrible monster. And and Geralt, instead of killing it, goes kind of out of his way to break the curse which to me is what makes this story so interesting and i just love the way he wrote the action scene in this where he's like pirouetting and he's parrying drinking potions and hiding in coffins <laughs> like mm-hmm. super cool very entertaining like even on the face value it's just a fun quick entertaining read i think also like Sapkowski describes Geralt in this or maybe it's a later one where it's like um as always, cats and children noticed him first. That idea of like right away you get a sense that he's like a light footed, like underseen guy. Like like the the aura around him is kind of somewhat mystical. So really entertaining way to kick off the series. It's one of and that's why I like it so much. Well said, Charles. <laughs> I agree with that all that. Yeah, I do like that bit about the the Striga being somewhat of an innocent victim in mm-hmm. all this and, and Geralt having the wisdom to see her that way. Right. And he even like when he didn't have to, he, he when the curse was broken and he saw the girl that was left behind, he goes and checks on her to make sure she's okay. And that's when he takes that really gnarly wound on his neck and For that's sure. what brings us to the Temple of Melitola, where he's healing. And this kind of serves mm-hmm. as the frame story around the whole book, where he's in this temple recovering, and people, he has conversations that kick off flashbacks. And one of the things is like, why did you like get close to her? <laughs> you know? And I, I just think he was, he kind of let his guard down because he saw an innocent child and wanted to make sure she was okay. And, and that's kind of how we set up the frame story for this, a girl's kind of sympathy towards m- creatures and monsters and things like that. It's really interesting. For sure. And I see you making a beautiful transition there, Charles, and I'm going to destroy it by <laughs> just a little bit back. <laughs> Please uh, do. I'm saying that this feels like a, a theme in The Witcher of almost no good deed goes unpunished. Yeah. Geralt, especially. Uh, So true. Come up for sure in The Lesser Evil as well. Uh, But yeah, it's kind of like, of course, when Geralt is just like fighting monsters and doing those kind of things, usually he doesn't face consequences for those more straightforward, like, things going on right it's when he is like oh it's a child and i need to make sure that they're okay and i got to take care of them and then that results in him (laughs) getting injured right it's it's also when because people have expectations of witchers it's like oh i just throw money at you and you'll do whatever i want right so it's like take your money and like there was one person who was like take your money like he was going to a face the striga and someone intercepts him and says here's money to just go away right now and uh because i want this creature to continue to exist because it undermines the king's authority right so um in those cases people just expect him to be almost like a mercenary where it's like i'll do whatever for gold and we're familiar with that um with that stereotype that trope but Geralt's kind of subverts it in a way in that his job is basically you give me gold i kill for you i kill the monster Mm -hmm. 
but more often than not, he doesn't take the gold, and more often than not, he doesn't kill the monster. So it's really interesting to see how uh, we're kind of introduced to that right off the bat, where he refuses that money and and uh, decides to try and break the curse of this monster. Exactly. If Geralt just lived a the kind of life that a stereotypical Witcher is supposed to live it'd probably be an easier one for him. Less crappy things would happen to Geralt if he chose to just follow that path in a straightforward way. And it's his choices to deviate from that path in a way guided by his moral code that almost always seem to result in worse things happening to him. And it does raise some of these interesting questions of, uh, like, what does it mean to... Uh, live a life well lived like to make moral choices and is it worth it to make those moral choices despite the pain it might cause for you very true and that's just kind of the magic that surrounds like these witcher short stories they kind of take influence from fables and folk stories and fairy tales and Mm -hmm. they do have kind of that theme at the end you know that lesson and that's certainly one that permeates through all of these especially like when we're talking about what makes a monster, I can't think of anything that is more relevant to the next short story, which I hate to move on from this one so fast because there's so many moments that I love in it. But um, I think we covered the basics. The next next one is uh, A Grain of Truth, which, you know, I said the first one is probably my favorite. Uh, I'd have to say this one is probably a lower tier. (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> not the, the lowest tier. Like, it's still good, but it just never really stuck with me like some of the others did. Yeah, I'm not surprised about <laughs> that. In some ways, it stuck out to me because it's, I think, the only one in here that was not in the Netflix series, which I'd right. already watched before reading this. So I know you went in the reverse order where you read the books first so i could see why when you're stumbling on these stories for the first time that this was not one that stuck out to you among all these other ones uh so but i was like aware hey this didn't happen in tv series and i was in the thought process of okay why and i think some of it is it's not as remarkable and kind of like (laughs) not as much happens it almost reminded me of uh, charles i don't know if you've seen this or really if any of our listeners are going to have seen this movie, oh, but it's boy. called my dinner with Andre. No, uh, but I know of the movie. Yeah. yeah. I've never seen it though. And it's kind of just this weird self-contained movie that approaches some oh, it's like spiritual and existential themes, but it all takes place in just a conversation with, uh, in that case, a, an old friend, but in, the case of the a grain of truth the witcher story it's kind of just like an eccentric odd person um and that that definitely resonates with the character in my dinner with andre too and i was almost like this is like the witcher meets uh my dinner with andre you're just like getting this person's life story and it's weird and kind of interesting <laughs> my like, dinner with this here? like beauty and the beast like beast character yeah. <laughs> all yeah. the- <laughs> It it I think for me what's kinda brings this episode down. I do I'm okay with the character of this beast character. I'm I'm uh blanking on his name, but a uh, Novellin oh, or Novella, I think it might be. Yeah, Novellin. Ne- Novellin, right. Yeah. So 
he's he's fine enough and they're having dinner and it's this interesting thing of like what it means to be a monster because th- there's some things where like this was a curse i did you know horrible things and i was cursed with this and i accept that but my life is actually kind of better for it i don't know if i'd want to switch back it's like you're a witcher are you just gonna kill me and he's like no i don't just kill indiscriminately i only kill things that are violent so that whole conversation is kind of interesting but then it just ends, and then the it, the story ends with this little twist that he's in love with a vampire, and you're like, the hook is that this creature was a vampire, but you were never set up in a way that there was any that that was any kind of payoff, except for the horse being behaving differently. But how are we supposed to know why? You know, so, and then it and then it just ends, and you're like, okay, well, I get it, but not particularly like you said, remarkable. Uh, not too much more to say here other than this idea of like um just all these weird situations that went on like the monster had all these agreements with merchants and merchants yeah. daughters and things it's, it's, it was, it well was that's something. part of part of the reason why i think part of it is that not a lot happens uh, and part of it is that uh, that story was uh, uh, had some some things that were pretty outdated i felt like in terms of the uh fair like just the way that women were portrayed and that's kind of a thing i think in the witcher i'm not going to harp on this uh really but i think that's something that people considering uh reading the witcher uh, might want to be aware of is that uh the yeah the portrayal of women feels like there's a lot of there's like women in refrigerators type stuff going on and that's definitely going on in this story um that's fair (laughs) that all felt like this there's a reason this didn't make it into the 2020 (laughs) or 2019 whatever it was uh modern tv series whereas a lot of these other stories were adapted uh pretty faithfully with some slight modification so uh, (laughs) not our not our highest tiered story it was the only thing notable about it for me was this aspect of that it wasn't in the TV series and and that it was kind of interesting to be like uh, subverting some of these beauty and the beast things. It was like the house was alive and he could command it. And then all the women that came to stay with him did the Stockholm syndrome thing. And then, um, it was love that broke the curse and all that. So it was interesting to see that and then again this idea of what makes a monster like and the fact that love a positive feeling a true connection is what kind of scrubbed it away it's like it's more of the intent and the emotion than the monster itself kind of a thing which again is plays in this but i've said all i need to say about this story it was fine it was interesting but there's a better one coming down the pipeline the lesser evil I mean, what a masterpiece. You want to kick us off with with the lesser evil? Yeah. Well, let me read. I've been writing little one sentence usually, but uh, this one's a little longer. Summaries for these episodes that we haven't ended up reading, but I want to read mine. Okay, (laughs) please. For it to introduce it. The lesser evil is the soon-to-be butcher of Blaviken strolls into town to get payment (laughs) for killing a Kikimora, and he is met by pleas from a sorcerer to kill a supposedly cursed princess that is seeking vengeance upon said sorcerer. He's also met by pleas from the princess to stand aside or aid in her plot of vengeance. Will Geralt choose the lesser evil? Yeah, very well said. I mean, we saw some 
something like this in the first story, The Witcher, where the minute he gets involved with one group, the other group comes up and they're like, hey, you're a witcher. Here's some money. Like, don't do that thing or do that thing or just walk away. And now in this case, we have two sides, right? We have Stragobor, the wizard, who's like, oh, all these royal princesses born under this dark moon are cursed and i went out and like killed all of them except for one and now she's really mad at me and is trying to kill me and i you know she's a monster and then there's this line Geralt's like he's not a monster she's not a monster and then there's this really great line that one of them says that it's like i mean come she's killed more people than that kikimora you brought in here yeah. on your back you know like she's way worse and, and Carol's like, like there's Kikimura a difference. hunts for food, and it's like it doesn't really know what it's doing. Uh, kind of some of that stuff we we're talking about with the Striga. It's like it's acting on base instinct, while uh, Renfrey, and and that's not what he calls her. He he calls her like stri- something with an S. But anyway, a uh, Renfrey, the princess, uh, is able to stop and think about what she's doing and has intentions and she is choosing to kill people but obviously she's been set on that path in a lot of ways by what Stregobor did to her way back when he was trying to kill all of these uh like children of the uh eclipse basically like people were born uh immediately after the eclipse who are supposedly cursed we don't get a lot of explicit or cut dry answers around right. whether or not she in particular renfrey was a monster um, right and what i love about those moments is you know the witcher because it's a like about monsters but not really about monsters it, it can be there it is kind of told almost like a scary story kind of format to some of these short stories and this one i think is no exception when um renfrey kind of explains how she grew up and how stregobor screwed her so bad and every time she tells a story about how she was like robbed or mistreated abused it's um so interesting and so engaging and yeah a lot of this book's um depictions of women are outdated as you said dylan but renfrey is a is a great character she's a character of tragedy and you sympathize with her because of these great moments where she explains all the horrible things that have happened to her and how she got this way and and it makes Stragobor Stragobor out to look like a really bad guy and and uh Geralt gets conflicted by that he definitely does and it's Shrike is the name I was looking for there around what Stregobor calls Renfrey, but Renfrey does not like going by that name. No. So, yeah, there's a very interesting interaction that Renfrey and Geralt have where Geralt is basically like, well, are you a monster? (laughs) And I, I don't have the quote in front of me. I have been flipping through to see if I could find it uh, while you're talking Charles, but I, I couldn't. And she basically is like, look, when I'm like cut, I bleed. When I'm uh, sad, I cry. When I'm happy, I laugh or smile. She's uh, And when 
like someone does something really terrible to me, I want to like kill them. I want revenge. And uh, she's like, does that make me a monster? <laughs> and it's just like very, very interesting. And that's what I like about these characters, especially like you said, Renfrey is so nuanced and interesting. Right. Uh, in the place of kind of the monster of the week, if you will, mm-hmm. for the uh, short stories here, where it's like we can see why she might be a monster. We can see why, if we were in her shoes as people who were not cursed, we would be wanting the same exact thing. And uh, yeah, Renfrey's all uh, since the show, which uh, this is the first episode in the show. I, I, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, since the show, Renfrey has been a real standout character for me and definitely holds up in The Last Wish. Right. I do think that they they did an interesting decision to put um, the lesser evil as the first story. I, I get it, though. It's definitely one of the more captivating ones because um, it's just... You you love you identify with Renfrey so much, and not so much Stragabor. But then Renfrey's the one who's willing to commit horrible acts of violence against innocent people in order to exact her revenge, and and that ultimately is what forces Geralt to choose, right? Because there's this whole thing about the lesser evil right where he's like you know if i have to choose between an evil and a lesser evil i'd prefer not to choose at all oh uh evil uh, said the witcher uh lesser greater middling it's all the same proportions are negotiated boundaries blurred i'm not a pious hermit i haven't done only good in my life but if i'm to choose between one evil and another then i prefer not to choose at all which beautiful such a great quote that's the for me, that is the defining quote of The Witcher. It's quintessential Witcher, for sure. After maybe Lilac and Gooseberries. <laughs> it, it, it's way up there. Um, this idea of the lesser evil. and cause What I liked about it was when I first heard it, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. But then when you start to think about it, you're like, well, clearly there's some evils that are, are way less than others. And I think Geralt starts to realize that too. And that's what makes it so interesting. He's like, oh, she's actually going to kill a bunch of people in the market square to draw out Stragabor and and um, he might not even come out <laughs> at all. So he that's when he decides to intervene, when he realizes her plan and the public perception is that Geralt just comes up to these people and kills them all in what was a really cool um, action scene where he deflects a crossbow bolt and he's fighting all these guys one at a time and they all have different kind of abilities. So that was a really fun scene, but the people watching it's just some dude comes up and just starts hacking at all these people. And now he's labeled the butcher of Blaviken and he's um, exiled and he's banished from the city. So it's again, you came up to this thing where he's like, he did the right thing, but now he's worse off for it. Uh, yeah. He did save a lot of innocent lives, but at, at the expense of his own. Yep. That no good deed goes unpunished. And of course, killing people is certainly an evil. So by the end of it, Geralt basically doesn't have a choice but to 
choose the lesser evil. I guess he could leave, but he knows that that would be an evil in itself because he would be allowing so much terrible stuff to happen. So I think he's kind of learning in this that uh, even to not choose is to make a choice. And uh, because of that, he just does pretty much choose, hey, I, I got to I gotta find a way to <laughs> minimize the damage here. Absolutely. No, th- this is definitely one of the, this is another, like, like I'm torn between is, is the Witcher or the lesser evil, my favorite short story. Cause they both have so much going for them. And, and I mean, Renfrey's such a great character. All those moments where she's talking about where she came from and why she feels the way she does. It's just so um, you feel for her. And then you also feel for Geralt when he, kills her base right so mm-hmm. man what a great str- and then Stregobor just gets what he wants and no one likes him <laughs> well the one thing he doesn't get if i'm remembering correctly is he does not get renfrey's body to do right. the autopsy the autopsy and part of that it yeah Stregobor doesn't get what he wants uh, but part of that is that we are left with never knowing Right was Renfrey a right, monster and then also this is another thing of girl doing the right thing, right? Where he's mm-hmm. trying to protect her dignity and not letting her be her her body be submit to Stragabor's yep. poking and prodding in an autopsy. But now Stragabor basically is like, "You made an enemy for life, pal. Get out of here." And I don't even know if he gets paid or not for because yeah, Stragabor was offering so. him lots of money originally to kill her and. uh and he was like, good job, old man. Now let's bring her up to the castle and, and do an autopsy. Yeah. And he's like, don't you dare touch her or I will kill you where you stand. And he's like, you need to leave. <laughs> so yeah. that's another thing of where like Geralt has a very clear line of morality. And when you're dealing with monsters and the people that create them, it always makes for an interesting story. So well said, Charles. Love and the lesser another, evil. <laughs> another thing that now Geralt has to deal with it he's put upon himself by trying to make the right choice here is that he'll never get the resolution of knowing if the, she really was cursed yeah, if or she not. was a monster or not and poor <laughs> Geralt but he just keeps keeps going he he's keeps going he keeps going into another top tier <laughs> short story a question of price um, do you want to read your your written intro for question of price Sure thing. Upon invite from Queen Kalanthi, Geralt attends a feast during which proposals for Princess Pavetta of Sindra take place, but there are several surprises, wink, wink, nod, nod, in mm-hmm. store for mm-hmm. our beloved Witcher. <laughs> Some surprises <laughs> indeed are in store, <laughs> and I like this one a lot. I like Queen Kalanthi as a character. Um, I like how she does everything in her power to try and tip the scale of destiny. Like she accepts it and still tries to not necessarily cheat it, but do everything in her power to influence it as possible. And um, what I love, first of all, this story opens up with Geralt getting a shave, right? And it's described as this blunt edged blade going across his neck and is very uncomfortable and then he sits down next to the queen and she's like you kill people for money right and he's like uh not exactly and then 
you know, Queen Calanthe kind of keeps him around as a tool in her because she knows what's coming and Geralt doesn't. And so you get this like witty table banter and and uh, Calanthe kind of holds her own and does uh, and she's fun to read. For sure. No, the one of the things that really impressed me about these short stories is the dialogue is it's good. Like yeah. Geralt has some good quips in there. I mean, Calanthe makes some good points and I think that it's yeah, shockingly good dialogue, I think, in The Witcher. It's not the kind of thing that you hear people talking about about The Witcher. It's like, oh, you like good dialogue, check out The Witcher. <laughs> but especially for something that was published as long ago as it was. And published I in think. Polish and translated to English too. It's That's like true. Very impressive. You know, Sapkowski deserves lots of credit for how he catalyzed this multimedia phenomenon. <laughs> but you know who gets lost in the mix here? Who gets lost? The translator, Charles. Yo. That, uh, I mean, I'm sure translators for all different languages, uh, but at least for us as people reading The Witcher in English, the... English translator is apparently David French, based on a quick uh, Google search. <laughs> quick Google search. Okay. Um, the English translator of short story collections and novels in the Witcher series. So, give a little love to David French, everyone. Yes, mostly ninety nine percent love. There's that one percent of this dandelion. <laughs> Dandelion, <laughs> or whatever they call him in the show, <laughs> uh, controversy here. Bast is that what they call him or something like that? In the show, isn't it? Oh, Bast like is from Jasker? King Killer. Jasker, Bast. yeah. I don't know why. I it's interesting. That. You chose like another kind of like roguish, uh, almost. <laughs> Not that Bast is a bard, but like I, I see what you're getting. At <laughs> right. There. No. Yeah. And he is like the the number two guy who's kind of this charismatic. The hype man. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, that one little thing, but that, who knows if that was his idea or not. Uh, but no, like the fact that this was translated from Polish, like you said, and it was translated well enough that we connect with the dialogue is, is huge. I think a large part of it just comes from this whole conception of the world of the Witcher is just so interesting. And Geralt as a character is, super super interesting and i featured him in one of my favorite protagonist things for that reason it is his dichotomy is so interesting of like his job is very cut and dry kill monsters for money but his moral line puts him at odds and ends with every political side and every race and all kinds of things he's in the middle of it and he's so useful and powerful as a warrior that he kind of he gets invited into these things which is which is the case for question of price but at this point he's become kind of famous and Calanthe's keeping him at his side at her side and that's when you find like enter Dooney uh, to, coming to collect on the law of surprise and then you have this this is another theme that takes place a lot in Witcher is this idea of destiny and in this case, it's like my, you know, this is my claim, the law of surprise, my destiny, blah, 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 to marry the princess. And Calanthe's like, I don't want to marry 
my granddaughter to someone named Dooney, okay? So <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> it is funny. I love the name Dooney where it's like, uh, now you want to be Prince, Prince Dooney? <laughs> yeah, it's like, so I'm going to marry Princess Pavetta off to Dooney. <laughs> So I think on that alone, Calanthe's um, really getting mad about the whole thing. Um, and, you know, she's trying to get in between the law of surprise, in between destiny and what happens. But you have Pavetta, like the moment they try and intercept, which is when I think Geralt gets involved also to the defense of Dooney because despite Dooney's monstrous curse. Right, besides his monstrous curse, right, and also besides the fact that he's here as a guest of Queen Calanthe and is basically Mm -hmm. under, you know, he's at the threat of losing her as a... As someone in his network, right? Like losing her as an ally. (laughs) So... Like on LinkedIn. Yeah. So she doesn't... So he's... He's willing to risk getting on the bad side of a pretty hot-headed queen... Not that she's, but she doesn't like to be crossed, right? She's very proud. So to come between her would not do well with his relations with her. And he does it anyway because it's what's right. And he understands the law of surprise being like, you don't mess with destiny. And what happens is Pavetta unleashes her power almost subconsciously when she sees Dooney getting attacked. And at that point, you know, they are able to knock her out, stop the power. And then uh, Calanthe's kind of like, Okay, you know what? There might be something to this law surprise thing. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and Calanthe, at least for now, is willing to give in to destiny a little bit and is cool with the Dooney Pavetta pairing. Uh, Dunetta. As, uh, <laughs> nice. As the tabloids say. <laughs> yeah, the tabloids are always calling them that. It, it worked a lot better than Pavetti. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you have to bleep that. <laughs> Charles, some work in his uh, audio pub- editing. <laughs> 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 uh, if we bleeped it, then you can use your imagination. It's <laughs> uh, <that's> funny. <laughs> Not the first time you've done this to yourself. Uh, try and play no, these I, word games and end up saying something crazy. <laughs> I've had a few like Tobias uh, <laughs> from Arrested Development type moments yeah. on the <laughs> on the podcast for sure. Usually I catch myself, but who knows? There might be other ones out there that just <sighs> slide right by without us <laughs> noticing. So another interesting thing about the story before we move on is that it's revealed that Dooney and Pavetta have loved each other for a long time and that Pavetta's pregnant and um, Dooney's like, oh, how can we repay you, Geralt, for intervening on my behalf and winning over Calanthe? And he's like, love surprise. Yeah. <laughs> like, give me the child. <laughs> I'll just take the child, which seemed, it seems kind of unusual when you look back at the whole thing. Like, I get why it has to happen plot structure wise, but it seems bizarre that Geralt would be like, oh, your unborn child, why doesn't that child become a witcher? Hmm? It's like, why it's would he very, do that? It's strange. I think this is one of the things that they did handle a bit better in the show, actually, is I think with the way it seems in the show, Geralt 
is kind of just like, yeah, like law of surprise, whatever ends up happening happens. Hmm. And then we basically find out from there that Pavetta's pregnant and it's like, oh crap. Yeah. Like I should not have done that. But in the book, it kind of just like happens and Geralt's reflecting on it with regret in right. the frame story. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It almost yeah, seems his, like he, he comes at it wants... from like, we need more witchers. Witchers are a dying breed and we need to recruit, mm. which I was like, he's never felt that way before. And yeah. even in the last wish short story, we get this moment where like he's tempted to wish himself to be human. Like, yeah. But so it came out of left field with that one. But I do agree. That's something the show handled better where it was a law of surprise. Thing where he didn't know that Pavetta was pregnant, right? Yeah. He also goes for the jewels from Queen Calanthe, which I'm on board with that. <laughs> He's like, the sash that you're wearing, <laughs> which is, of course, an emerald studded necklace, so uh, which she willingly gives, which is good. So that's a question of price. And then we, you know, that's that's the only mention of, of Siri, and we don't even get the name Siri. But this is uh, no. kind of the origin. It is. I mean, it's strange to be reading these short stories after watching the first season of Witcher where there are these complete story arcs, basically, of two characters in the Netflix season one of like Yennefer and Siri that just are not happening at all when you're reading the short stories. Uh like you get a little bit of seeing Yennefer in a one that we'll get to the last wish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there's just no Siri going on. I, and Siri's awesome in the show. Like she the is. actress is great. And I, I like the character a lot too. So, uh, and like same with Yennefer. So it's, it does feel a little like it's, it's missing, but the short stories are pretty, awesome and, and it's nice to have something focused uh on just like Geralt's story too so double-edged sword <laughs> which we'll get to what double-edged sword in the next book uh, but um beautiful but basically I agree um and this was one of the things that when we talked about the when we reacted to the season one of the witcher that I was kind of saying I'm like they're I get why they're doing it right they want to bring their three powerhouse characters uh, Yennefer, Siri, and Geralt right in the beginning and have them all kind of come together by the end. And I get that from a structure point of view, but um, it requires you to jump around in time a lot, which the show did well, uh, but the book did not do that, right? Where the book is content with going at this chronological pace for the most part, right? We have this framing story, but. Um, all these short stories are kind of taking place one after the other. So you get to see how everything plays out in order. You get to see Calanthe like one time and not like four. You don't get to see her fall out the window like a thousand million times. Um, so uh, yeah, it's um, really a different take. I, I'm just because I, this was my first exposure to Witcher. This is kind of the way that I like it, but the show did a really good job. And I get why they did it, introducing every character at the beginning. Yeah, I think they had to, and I think it was better off. I think it fits so much better with 
I mean, they didn't have to, but I think that it is better off that they did that. It fits so much better with, I think, how people expect a fantasy TV series to be now. Uh, it does feel more like trying to be a little more like Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. terms of having a little bit more of this wider Expansive cast and thing, this wider yeah. world mm-hmm. and, and strong uh, female characters in Siri and Yennefer that kind of don't, like to varying extents aren't as present in right i mean a lot i I like renfrey i like calanthe um but they do shine a little brighter in the in the show version but i do like them both as characters quite a bit um yeah but then you have characters like pavetta which is like okay you're basically just a a prop kind of for this story but um i never think she was meant to be that um capable anyway <laughs> so uh but she did have yeah, that magic Pavetta gets Pavetta gets a raw deal throughout in terms of just she does kind of seem like a plot device in <laughs> in the show in the short stories it's just yeah. kind of like uh but her mom and daughter are both yeah. very <laughs> the stars important. of the show yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's like siri you're like pavetta but good better <laughs> it's like okay <laughs> so um that's the edge of the world uh, uh no 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 no, no. that's a question of, of price and now yes. we're at the edge of the world which this also goes in the a similar category to a grain of truth for me it introduces dandelion or dandelion if you listen to the audiobooks um <laughs> But, and it is kind of funny at times, but for the most part, I have not much to say about this one, honestly. (laughs) I'll read my summary so people know which one it is, which is, Geralt tears word of a devil that that turns out to be a sylvan, which leads to Geralt and Dandelion interacting with the elven leader, Philavandral. I mean, yes, I'm uh, I'm kind of in a similar boat with you, Charles. I don't have a ton to say on this one. It was kind of funny to see in these interactions with uh, Sylvan, where the <laughs> just some of these like fable influences, where the Sylvan's like, "We're gonna do a race, and if you beat me in the race, then I will leave." <laughs> we'll do or, a like, riddle. I'm gonna tell you riddles. <laughs> it's like all these things that feel like they would happen in a fable but instead because it's the witcher and some of these subversions and are that's kind of what the, what andre kind of hints at in this one right where Geralt's like yeah. there's a hint of truth in every fairy tale that's the story right where he says that yeah. because dandelion's like why aren't we why aren't you bringing your swords or, isn't there a devil out here i think that's actually grain of yeah well that's grain of truth is uh, oh, okay that's grain of truth a, which yeah, that's like the titular line or whatever. Right. Um, so that's a similar. It's a similar, it similar story. So, but the, basically, it's like, why aren't you bringing your thing? Aren't we fighting a devil? Did you listen to the um the um Peter Kenny audiobook for this I story? Swi- I switched back and forth between my because um, that's the probably the best thing about this particular short story is when he when he says devil. And when he does yeah. the voice of the um, the goat thing, he's like, "Get out of here!" <laughs> you know. <he's>... Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm sorry, That's listeners, awesome. you had to hear my yeah, impression. Yeah, the goat voice. Yeah, the goat voice was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Eventually, like, when it had a lot of dialogue, you were like, "Yeah, oh god!" But when it was when he was just insulting them and hurling rocks at them and stuff, mm-hmm. it was funny. And then when he actually had to like 
deliver a theme of the story at the end. You know, like he's wrapping things up at the end. You're like, okay, it's kind of a going a little long on yeah. this on this voice. <laughs> I would agree with that. It was impressive in terms of the uh, Peter Kane. Did you say yes, Charles? Yeah. Uh, in terms of his range as an audiobook narrator, I mean, you don't usually see people go that far of (laughs) he really committed to like like the goat goat (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah but it was a little much when it was like we (laughs) we're gonna deliver on the moral of the story (laughs) in bleeding goat voice um so i did find myself by the end uh reading that (laughs) last bit um so the yeah what's worth talking about here uh, that uh, there was almost a race featuring Geralt, uh, much like in our fantasy, who would win. That's matchups, true. I had forgot. I, I never made that connection. Even I you... <laughs> immediately made that connection. I was like, oh, crap. Are we going to get to see Geralt race? Can I use this to help convince Charles and all of you wonderful listeners out there that Geralt would beat Treebeard in a race? Mm-hmm. But... Geralt tried to avoid the race, which makes me think maybe I maybe I was off. Maybe Geralt <laughs> would not win a race against Drew. He doesn't have the patience. I think this is ties again into this idea of destiny, even though they don't actually explicitly say anything. I think it's like the Queen of Elves comes in, and I think they commute telepathically, and that's yeah. when um, uh, Torque right cuts. Geralt and Dandelion free. I also like how dangerous Geralt is, even tied up. You know, that was a fun <laughs> bit of it. And how he just wasn't afraid of even facing death. He had some funny one-liners throughout the whole thing. And um, yeah, it was really just a, it was a fun little story. But I wasn't, like, nothing super exciting happens. Just like a character shows up in the 11th hour and they get mm-hmm. to go. You know, it's not like anything super crazy happened. The Geralt Dandelion bromance is very interesting in the short stories, and it feels different than it does, I think, in the show. In the show, it feels like you get to see Geralt slowly warm up to Dandelion, or Yaskier, I think is his name in the show, um, where he's still presenting this gruff, stoic exterior, he's like, yeah, I guess you aren't so bad. (laughs) But in the short stories, Geralt is just like, that's my friend, and I'd do anything for him, which is kind of (laughs) interesting. Like, he's already there pretty much by the time we're having Geralt and Dandelion in the same story, which was interesting and kind of didn't resonate with my picture of Geralt. The show version resonated Right, well, I think in the show version, this was the first time they had ever met each other. And in the books, I think they had been friends, right? Um, yeah, but even by the end of the first season of the show, I feel like Geralt is still a bit more in this. I just can't imagine Geralt with anyone just being like, that's my friend and I'd do anything for them. He might behave in a way that yeah. indicates that's how he feels, but I just can't imagine him saying things like that. And he basically says things like that uh, in the short stories in The Last Wish, right, too. Especially I think. when Dandelion yeah. is like so, threatened, almost dies. And Dandelion was willing to die for Geralt in the in the edge of the world here, too. There's a moment where they're like, well, we can't let Dandelion go because if you go, you're going to like try to avenge Geralt and you know where we are. Right. And 
my picture of dandelion in my head before he (laughs) responded was like he'd be like no 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 like i wouldn't do that (laughs) like of course you just let me go i won't say anything but then in the short story he's like yeah you better not let me go because i would send everyone against you for hurting my best friend Geralt." it's like oh okay that's yeah but i think also like dandelion is still that character that would say anything right who knows how much he's really capable of beyond just being a good singer and songwriter you know he he would get that enraged but it's kind of cute to see him get enraged because he can't really back it up with strength. And that's why having Geralt around, who is this kind of brutish character, is super fun that they are a duo. I guess for me, it's just the idea that I guess, especially bards, I think of them a little (laughs) more like out for themselves. If I can get out of this. (laughs) And that might have been another point of this this short story is to introduce the friendship between Geralt Mm -hmm. and Dandelion. So um, it's cute for sure. And it... (laughs) It reminds me, Charles, you haven't read Lies of Locke Lamora yet, but that's, mm. uh, I'm sure, very high up on your TBR these days. Yes. Uh, if it's not, I've been failing my <laughs> duties as your fellow co-host. But the the Locke and Jean relationship in Lies of Locke Lamora is my favorite friendship in fantasy and, and gets a lot of that kind of reputation in the fantasy community as like the best friendship in fantasy. Mm. And it, some of the notes that get hit on that, I think seem to be getting hit on the, the Geralt dandelion <laughs> relationship in terms of this, just like underlying sense of I'd do anything for you. And, and I'm not afraid to say it. Right. And I, I don't know. I just like how they kind of, they sometimes they don't acknowledge it, but like for Geralt, he's often like not really seen as this whimsical say anything guy, and he even sometimes gets mad at Dandelion for being that way. But he still, at the end of the day, lets Dandelion follow him around and stuff, right? Like he just can't quit him for whatever reason. So I think that's cute, and uh, of course, Dandelion is an opportunist and sees the advantage of being around someone that can wield a sword and is very strong. But then he also has this emotional connection to, to Geralt as well. And so I just like the relationship is fun. And the story does a decent job of um, introducing that. Um, But what does an even better job for me is the beginning of um, the last wish when they're fishing (laughs) And, and they have this big fish on the line and girl's like don't pull on it you're gonna break the line and he's like don't be stupid you have to pull it out well we're gonna cook it and make a soup and yeah. use his head for soup like he says soup over and over like that moment to me was way more revealing of their relationship than anything from edge of the world i, I just love that the way to start the show the story i think the show version of the last wish was kind of diminished where it's like what are you doing i'm looking for a gin oh i found it and now we're starting it's crazy when it actually started from two guys like getting in an argument over how to reel in a fish for sure no i did appreciate that i remember you saying that in our netflix witcher discussion that we had where you're like yeah that happened really fast i didn't know what the alternative would have been but i did appreciate in the short story that 
it basically starts with uh, Geralt and Dandelion on a fishing outing. Yeah. It was just two like, bros goofing around, do, right? And yeah. it's also funny to see Geralt who's faced all these kinds of monsters lose to fish, you know? It's like <laughs> another funny thing. And they're yeah. fighting each other, they're bickering over it. Um, and then they get the seal and they're so busy fooling around that um, they don't stop Dandelion from like breaking the seal or or mm-hmm. not really, right? Because Ooh. you think it's dandelion the whole time which is interesting um so yeah his face gets all swollen and that's what's like i'll do anything for my friend and that kind of kicks off the last wish which is another like top tier story in this maybe not as top tier as the other two we've discussed but way up there yeah i think i'm on the same page as you there charles probably this is number three for me and and does take a a step down from the other two i would say in terms of uh i don't know if people were to start thinking about tier ranking these or something like that what a crazy idea (laughs) (laughs) so yeah just came to me but the yeah the story is interesting we get to we get introduced to yennefer which is obviously very important oh yeah we we it's a strong introduction. I love how before we even see her, right, Geralt's told about her and he goes mm-hmm. to the um um the what's the word for it? The delegate, not the delegate, when you ambassador. She he goes to the ambassador, the merchant ambassador's palace, and he's there, he's like all bloodshot, it's like the middle of the night, and it's like, She wants juice. <laughs> Gotta get her juice. <laughs> Geralt's like, What's going on? And it's like, I'll take that dude and like takes the juice from him and brings it up and that's how we meet Jennifer. it's so funny because she is someone who like puts people through like that she's kind of selfish but also kind of commanding and and demanding as well so this idea of like the lord of the palace like trying to get her juice late at night because <laughs> she wants it and she's like oh i was so thirsty it's just a fun way to introduce Jennifer. Yeah, she's funny in this. Uh, she's funny in the in the show at times too. But it seems like they leaned even more into some of these cold and uh, demanding aspects mm-hmm. of uh, her in the show. I would say, uh, and here she's very willing to be kind of goofy <laughs> at times, and she's even like, "Hey, look, you're." you're good in my book so i'm gonna try to help you because you you did think to bring me juice (laughs) and uh i was thirsty (laughs) yeah i was thirsty so uh, i will help you but i've got like more all this morning stuff going on right now like the like eye crusties and things like that so uh, like i do gotta take a bath but but i will help yeah and like i appreciate that even though your friend is like choking to death you still thought to bring the Exactly. You saw help you, but first I got to take a bath. Like yep. it's like what? And then she, and then she also goes on to say it's like you might want to take one too because not only can I smell the age and breed of your horse, but its color, which was like a funny, <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> a funny line to say, um, which puts them in the bizarre situation where they're bathing together and she's invisible. It's like she, they couldn't draw two baths. <laughs> <It's> bizarre. <laughs> well, I, it was a weird scene for sure, and. I kind of thought that that was leaning into these aspects of Yennefer as someone who's just, in some way, I don't know if goofy is the right word, but like, she's confident. She just gets at a kick. Yeah, is... but she's 
kind of amusing she also just, herself. Like, gets a kick out of like messing with people. Yeah, for it's sure. Like she's like mischievous almost. She's definitely messing and with Geralt she knows that whole time. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, she knows when she's doing the invisible stuff that she's kind of like messing with Geralt yeah. and kind of like toying with him and then making him. <laughs> like he is confused he was he was yeah, like and then confused. there were soap lines that made him feel a certain way you know it was like bizarre a situation but yeah, yeah she's just messing the writing. with him <laughs> yeah some of the writing is kind of strange at times in this and this is another one where some of the depictions of women feels like it's uh, uh you know not the best <laughs> so i uh, it was funny though, and he this short story also he wrote in a lot of these callback funny lines that kind of translated well. Where it's like, and no one ever knew what his last wish was because he started swelling. I was like, and no one ever knew what he thought because someone yeah. barged in, right? So it's like that was kind of fun. Like I was laughing, reading, like chuckling. I would say, uh, reading this story just from even from the writing style when Yennefer comes in like all these like the the narrating tone gets funny too where it's like and no one ever heard what he thought because at that moment the gin tornado blew in or something you know it's like really interesting um tone set in this one compared to the others (laughs) it is and it does it does feel like the way that Sapkowski is able to write some of these more omniscient nar- narrator moments, uh, d- despite this being published a long time ago originally, or at least the way it's translated, um, it feels it still manages to feel really modern. Um, right. Like it never takes you out of it. And having just read Lord of the Rings, which is very omniscient. Narrator and kind of hopping all o- over the place, and obviously it was published even longer ago. And even I, I read uh, the Legend of Drizzt. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, by R. A. Salvatore. I don't know if I'm saying that right either. But um, I, I read that recently, and that's published a while ago. Like the first one, the first book in that. Um, and that one also was like omniscient. And but was jarring for me in the way that the omniscient narrator would hop around. I'd never felt that really with the the Witcher. The Witcher, despite being omniscient, only really benefits when it gets to drop some of these funny lines that you would not get <laughs> in some more close third person limited type narration sure he does have fun with it every so often and that's part of like when i pitched this of how it was just like a fun easy read and this is all part of it like andrei sapkowski at least how it's translated feels like he's okay with dropping funny moments when he thinks of them and telling action pieces when he wants to and it's just fun you just kind of roll with it um yeah no i i agree it's Really interesting choice of voice and seemingly very progressive when you think about its place in history. Like it was published in the early 90s, but you were getting like a Game of Thrones around that time as well. They're pretty close in terms of their original release. I mean, the U.S. didn't see Witcher until it was translated in 2007. Um, But still, uh, definitely feels like one of these early breakthroughs in modern fantasy right along the same time frame as a game of thrones and 
probably around like Wheel of Time stuff as well, I would figure. But yeah, no, it's it's like you forget because it's so popular right now how old it is and how far back these stories were written. So really interesting how it found its place in history now more so than it did back in 2007 or 1993, even though it's always been critically acclaimed. It's like it found its way in pop culture today. Very interesting. Definitely. It does feel way ahead of its time in terms of some of these elements of dark fantasy and willingness to subvert some things that we come to know as more typical in fantasy or in fables. And yeah, it's an interesting balance of these old school high fantasy elements. Like there are going to be dwarves and elves and gnomes and curses and Beauty and the Beast style (laughs) beasts in here. Uh, But there's also a character like Geralt who would fit neatly into any modern fantasy or even grimdark for sure uh, and the dialogue too it's not Mm -hmm. bogged down in like high fantasy back and forth right it feels very modern and fresh there's even like one thing i didn't mention back when we were talking about lesser evil one of the dialogue moments i really like was when renfrey was like there's only two people that can prevent things from happening it's like stragabor and he's like what and you and she starts yeah. laughing and she's like no <laughs> it's you <laughs> so it's like these fun cheeky moments where it's like uh you know it is kind of a modern fresh feeling thing Geralt can quip with the best of them Charles. he, he was quipping with kings and queens yeah. and princesses yeah <laughs> and that was a particularly funny one because it's presented she's so serious she's like only two people <laughs> and he's like let me guess one of them's you you're gonna put your claim to vengeance down and go home and live well a- she's like let's see how wise you are witcher like can you guess who the other yeah. one is i think and yeah he's like oh is it you yeah. and that's such a snappy comeback for someone yeah. who's trying to be like look this is happening and you need to make a choice here and he's like no you have to realize that you are also making a it choice it was here. very are... snappy it was a very yeah. like you go girl moment when he was like <laughs> he was is like, that, is that what you? you think about <laughs> do you say that when you're reading Geralt clips like, oh you go yeah for sure <laughs> you go that Geralt was a good stinger <laughs> Yeah, you go, Geralt. (laughs) Yep. Right. So that brings us to the ending of The Voice of Reason, which was funny, I guess. You have Dandelion being the hype man, like, Mm -hmm. and then there's this kind of weird code where it's like, Dan, if you do, Dan, if you don't, where you have these knights and one of them is like this spoiled son of a nobleman type character who's like, I challenge you. And it's like, well, now that you're challenged, you either don't fight him and get hanged or fight him and you get killed for fighting him. So it's like, what are you going to do? And then he finds his little loophole around it by making the <laughs> by making the guy hurt himself, which was. Uh, yeah. And they were just like, oh, good one. Bye. <laughs> and it's like, OK, whatever. So the voice of reason is what all the frame story is. Yes chapters are being called throughout so uh, i mean i don't have a ton to say on it i'm sure we're coming to the end soon here yeah. uh, basically just so people are aware uh Geralt 
uh, has interactions with people that conveniently remind him of his most interesting adventures. Uh, and then he makes a knight hit himself in the face and gets an ominous vision of the future is what happens. In right. These. And then again, comes back to that ominous vision being like this thing of Geralt's destiny. And even Geralt says earlier, he's like, I've seen my destiny. It's pretty on the outside, but like tainted and dark and things like that. So... Mm-hmm. Who knows, that may or may not have a larger role to play in the next book, A Sword of Destiny. <laughs> well done, Charles. So. You've been nailing these <laughs> transitions like all episode. <laughs> well, someone's got to keep moving along. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> no, no, I don't know. It's, you, you try, you try. Um, but yeah, I like how I give you a compliment and then you give me a <laughs> like. <laughs> The I didn't. It, did, it wasn't intentionally was a dig at you. It was about. more like I tried more than like. Well, someone has to you keep you in place. Like that's not what I meant. <laughs> it did come up kind of uh, b wordy of me. I'll admit that <laughs> that's not the intention. Well, I'm glad we got to process this in front of the listeners. And you know uh, what? We're better of, for it. <laughs> we're better for it. We we got even closer. How about Charles, that? Two friends. Charles and I's uh, twenty some odd year friendship. You uh, see how quickly we processed gonna, that and put it behind yeah. us, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Modeling just strong interpersonal. <laughs> <laughs> process for all you listeners. Yeah, and you know it helps when one of your friends is uh, pursuing a PhD in counseling psych, right? <laughs> Which one of us is that, Charles? That would be you. I just, <laughs> I'm just a marketing guy, so I have a little bit of empathy, but <laughs> it's not the it's same just level. enough to manipulate people to buy. <laughs> yeah. Just enough- uh, speaking of Charles, uh, where can they find us on <laughs> social media? <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, wait. Before I do that, there's one more thing we got to do, and that's get the outro music going. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. This has been your hosts and lifelong friends, Charles and Dylan, talking it out. This was the introduction to The Witcher, uh, the, the Last Wish. Uh, if you like that, tune in next week when we talk about the Sword of Destiny. And while you're at it, toss five stars to your podcast, okay? You don't want to hear me sing again. You're really don't <laughs> probably will anyway but you will next time i mean i did go all my, out of my way to record it so we're dropping it again next week but um yeah in the meantime drop five stars on apple podcasts you can also check us out on social media at the ftf podcast or the ftf podcast with the number one at the end for twitter send us an email also like what did you think about the witcher what were your thoughts go ahead and shoot that out i see you prepared some really (laughs) discussion topics (laughs) ftf podcast at gmail.com and um yeah you got anything to pile on no you just nailed that Uh, thank you everybody for your patience and as always go forth and conquer friends